Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. God, I don't have any sound. Okay, here's the sound. Okay, I got a phone call from my, my web person. I said, hmm, what's he calling for? I'm on the air. So now I'm on the air. So uh, tonight's talk is, he, is what does Dr. Daniels do when she gets sick? And um, many natural healers advocate natural healing, but run to the hospital when they get sick. So not so with Dr. Daniels. So tonight... I'm going to share with you what I do when I get sick. So uh, listen up, and um, I'll share with you the bliss of healing without paperwork, waiting, invasive testing, or monthly premiums. Think happens, and healing happens too. So I'm just going to go over some things that um, afflictions I've had and what I've done to take care of them. And the goal of this is really to inspire people to really jump right in and take responsibility for their health care and give themselves a little more credit for uh, being able to heal themselves. And if you think of it as your body healing and you're just the executive assistant, you're just helping your body heal because your body actually intends to heal, it plans to heal, and it can heal. So first thing is cough. Um, Occasionally, I'll get a cough, and the reason for the cough is being in a hurry, working, getting distracted, and not drinking enough water. And generally, when the cough starts, the first thing I do is ignore it. And once I um, realize it's not going away, then I take a look, and I look at my water intake for the prior three to five days. And without fail, I will realize that I've not been drinking anywhere near the amount of water I need for my body weight. So generally, by the time I get to where I'm coughing, I'm drinking a cup of water a day when really I need closer to three quarts, two to three quarts. So 
And so the remedy then is to immediately start drinking the amount of water my body needs. Uh, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. When it doesn't, I take a full two days and just simply do a water fast, drinking one gallon of water each day. And that generally kills the cough. That's the end of the cough. The next affliction is sinus infection. I have sinus infections uh, in my history. Ever since I would say from the age of about 13 to the age of 34, I've had sinus infections continuously. And I did not realize uh, that there was anything really wrong with it until I started uh, doing all this uh, natural stuff and I started fasting. And all of a sudden, my throat clearing and constant nose blowing and sniffling cleared up. And then I realized it was the dairy, and I absolutely quit dairy, and the sinuses cleared up with no further problems. But now, I do eat meat from time to time, and sometimes I'll get a little dairy in there by accident, and so the sinus will flare up. And what do I do for that? Well, I use the old Medipod, but not just any application, because using a plain old Medipod is... Uh, with water or with salt water may not be strong enough, especially if you have uh, a severe sinus issue. And so what I do is I mix uh, some water, about a quart of water, two cloves of crushed garlic, a tablespoon plus a teaspoon of salt, and I boil it up for 10 minutes. You have to boil it for 10 minutes or the garlic will be so harsh that it will burn your sinus passages. You don't want that. So you boil it for at least 10 minutes, longer if you want to, then, you, then I strain it, and I add enough water to make half a gallon. Check the temperature because I don't want to burn my sinuses. Um, and when it's cool enough, it's around 100 degrees or so, I'll pour some in the neti pot and put two potfuls through each nostril. And, boy, you can just see the slime just pour out of your nostril. Uh, a lot of times, of course, it's a bit of a big help. It clears out the sinuses. But sometimes you have a lot of thick, gunky stuff. It's all also in the back of your throat. It's on your vocal cords. Your voice is getting um, hoarse and thick. In that case, you take the same solution and actually gargle with it. And it clears out uh, your vocal cords and clears your voice. So your voice comes back. Then there's headache. Now, I get a headache about once every two years. Not very often. So whenever I get a headache, immediately I stop everything. The slightest hint of a headache, I'm like, okay, stop everything. Something's going on. I'm being poisoned. I have to figure out where the poison is coming from. So if you actually stop at the first hint of a headache, usually whatever caused the headache happened recently, like in the last um, hour or two. And so you can easily trace back what it might have been. In my case, uh, if I drink coffee by accident, something maybe has coffee in it or has caffeine in it, then I'll get a headache. Uh, but in any case, the first thing I do when I get a headache is I drink water. Second thing I do when I get a headache is I examine anything I've eaten to make sure there isn't any coffee in it. If there is coffee in it, make a note of it, don't eat that again or caffeine in it. I remember once I was in New York, and it was years ago, 2000-something, um, 
And I decided, well, I'm going to buy some cacao nibs and try them out. <laughs> so I think I chewed on about five nibs. That was all it took. And I had a headache. And I said, yeah, I got a headache. I said, well, I must be stressed. Oh, I had all kinds of excuses. But then I realized it was the, uh, the caffeine, and so I just removed that toxic exposure. But So if you have a headache, it's best to pay attention to the first little mild headache and remove yourself from whatever the toxic exposure is, whether it's fumes, whether it's food, whether it's perfume, whatever it is, immediately remove yourself. Then broken toes. <laughs> I have to tell you, um, when I lived in the States, I lived way north at Syracuse, New York, where it was really cold. And so I always wore closed shoes, so never any foot injuries to speak of. Well, down here in the tropics, um, one wears sandals quite a bit. And so, of course, I've broken a few toes. And so... Um, what do I do for broken toes? First, tape one toe to the next toe. And believe it or not, you only have to do it for two or three days. And then wear the widest shoe that you own. In my case, I have these, they have these uh, plastic mold shoes that are really fat. You can buy them down here for like five bucks. They're kind of like knockoffs of a more popular brand. And um, that works very well. So the pain is generally gone in five days and Heels up and the toes look pretty much like the unbroken toes. Uh, next is injury. Now down here, we have stone. All of the walking surfaces are stone. So the floors in the houses are stone. Um, the sidewalks are stone. It's very hard. Whereas up in the States, the floors are made of wood or you had a lot of dirt um, outside. And so one day I decided I was going to get some exercise and I was going to jump rope. And so I did just that. I started jump roping. Well, it didn't take long until the pounding on the cement really banged up uh, my foot. And so it became very painful. It was slow. And I said, oh, my God, this is it. And all I did was rest a bit and um, put a little turpentine on it. And the next day, it was a little achy, and it worked itself out very nicely. Next affliction um, that I get from time to time is abdominal pain. And this is a real annoyance, because when your tummy hurts, that's just it. It can ruin your day. And so, uh, and when I say abdominal pain, I mean just plain that, abdominal pain. Not necessarily, not any diarrhea or anything like that, but just plain old tummy hurts. And the main reason for abdominal pain is um, sluggishness of the bowels, accumulation of gas, or accumulation of stool. And what I found really helps with that is I just do uh, stimulating abdominal exercises. So I'll sit on the floor, feet extended, uh, so I'm sitting up, kind of shaped like an L, looking forward with my feet straight out in front of me, put my palms on the side floor next to me, and then throw my bottom up in the air so that I form like a tabletop. And that stimulates the bowels and jiggles them enough where things get moving and the abdominal pain goes away. Generally takes about three reps and that's it. I jump up and I'm ready to um, 
continuous whatever the activity is. So obviously to do this, you have to kind of uh, run to the ladies' room and um, do a couple exercises, and that does it. Now that's my abdominal pain. But just to let you know his degrees of abdominal pain, my husband developed severe, awful abdominal pain. And of course, it was my day to go out with the girls. Uh, they, the girls from the church had arranged a big bus trip, uh, you know, all day long. And I just got on my jeans and my T-shirt, and I was getting ready to go join the girls. And my husband says, oh, honey, I don't feel well. I said, oh, well, you'll be better soon. He said, no, no, I really don't feel well. <laughs> and so um, I said, well, let me check. So I checked uh, his belly, and sure enough, he, did, he was not well. It's severely painful. The um, first time I checked, the pain was around his belly button. I could barely touch it without him crying in pain. So then I waited about 10 minutes, checked him again. This time the pain was in the uh, right lower quadrant and severely, severely tender. And, of course, he had a fever. So this is classical appendicitis. And so we looked at each other. So the question, of course, was, um, well, should he go to the hospital? <laughs> I said, well, honey, I wouldn't want you to take me to the hospital if you got, if I was sick. So I'm not going to take you to the hospital. But well, uh, aren't you going to help me? <laughs> I said, yes, dear, I'll help you out with this. And so um, what I did was I went up on the shelf and got my little plastic bucket of uh, Hail Mary herbs and uh, mixed them together, made a tea for him, uh, gave him two glasses of tea, one to drink now, one to drink while I was gone. And so I went away for the day, came back, and um, in my absence, he had gotten up. He had had a uh, rather generous bowel movement, and his appendicitis pain was gone, and his fever broke. Now, this was a real uh, real eye-opener because... Uh, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times in medical school we've been taught uh, appendicitis, rigid abdomen, decreased bowel sounds, periumbilical pain, moving to the right lower quadrant, accompanied by fever, um, with rebound tenderness. He had absolutely everything. Of course, the answer is hurry, hurry, go to the emergency room and have that surgery. Uh, just an update on the latest standard of care is they are now finding that um, appendicitis, acute appendicitis, does not always require surgery. In fact, it usually does not require surgery. So all those appendices that were removed over the years uh, apparently didn't really need to be done. Now, when I um, came down here to Panama, I was uh, slim, trim, lots of energy. I mean, I still am, but just to give you a background. And I was doing great until one evening. It was such a beautiful evening. I decided I was going to sit on the terrace of the um, hotel and restaurant where I was living. And while I was there, just enjoying the beautiful breeze, um, a couple hundred mosquitoes uh, bit me in the leg. I don't know why. They seemed to prefer the right leg over the left, but they did. And 
I didn't realize I was getting so many bites. I, I was getting bitten, but I was just so distracted by the beautiful scenery that I decided that why be a wimp and why complain over a few mosquito bites? So I, I um, got up and went to my hotel room, and I realized that my right ankle was really hot and swollen and had just hundreds of bug bites that had actually um, coalesced together into one hot um, lump all around the circumference of my ankle and partway up my leg. I said, well, let's not panic, uh, you know. <laughs> They're only mosquitoes. And so in the tropics, they don't have tubs. They have showers. And so it's difficult to, I just wanted to submerge that body part and uh, so it wasn't going to be so hot. But what finally happened was the heat um, dissipated, but it's, the rash spread, and leg became swollen, pretty much the knee down, and the skin broke open and started oozing all kinds of funny colored stuff. And so here I was in a foreign country. I think I'd only been here maybe mm, three weeks when this happened. And... Um, and so I said to myself, oh, my God, I've got it. This is it. It's the tropical, incurable, deadly, whatever. And uh, it's hopeless. It's incurable. So I'm going to look for a natural remedy. And I went to um, the curanderos and naturistas. Those are the terms for natural healers here in, in, uh, in Panama. And they had, you know, herbs for me to boil and take and salves for me to put on. And um, I had a friend who was actually a medical doctor. And I saw him at a restaurant and he looked at my ankle and said, or my leg and said, oh, my God. You know, if I was a doctor in the emergency room, I would admit you right now and give you intravenous antibiotics. <laughs> well, we're not going to do that. We're going to figure this out. And I would say at 50 to $100 at a time, I easily spent over $1,000 on this affliction. And um, it was really awful. And I had to go back to the United States for my daughter's graduation. So I had this swollen leg dripping indescribable stuff, and I had it wrapped up. And I said, well, okay, I'm just going to get through the graduation, which I did. And so back in the States, um, I decided to try some A and D ointment, and I did, and it actually helped quite a bit. Didn't make it go away, but it helped. And uh, it still plagued me, and I decided at night maybe I should elevate it. So I hooked up this uh, stirrup thing, uh, attached it to the wall, and slept with my leg elevated. That didn't help. Um, I wrapped it in seaweed. That didn't help. And I um, went to the ayahuasca uh, shaman six times. Uh, It made it 50% better, but it was still there. And at this time, I had not been able to find turpentine in Panama. I was not able to find it. I looked up on the Internet for the Spanish equivalent of turpentine, and I couldn't find any uh, translation to anything that was present in the hardware store. So finally... um, 
some guys were doing some work on my house, renovating it to make the front half into an office. And I noticed there was this odd bottle they were using. I looked up the name on the bottle, and that was turpentine. So I went to the store, got some of it, and started taking it. Meanwhile, I also stopped taking my vitality capsules. So I started taking the vitality capsules and the turpentine together. It took about three days, and it cleared up. So that was a real lesson for me that, you know, just basics, basics, basics. You know, drink your water, uh, take your turpentine, and your vitality capsules. So now, whenever I have a problem, I resort to uh, turpentine sooner rather than later. And then I um, cleared up everything, cleared up my skin, got everything taken care of, and then I had to go to Chicago for a conference. And so I went to Chicago, and I had heard that there were chemtrails there. And I said, well, you know, what's a few chemtrails? I mean, why be paranoid about anything? So I um, went there, and the first two days, it was a one-week conference, the first two days were fine. The third day, I noticed a rash popped up, and it was itchy, and then it spread. And then I was scratching, and then it spread. So it spread all over my legs, all over my arms, uh, on my back. And just as I was getting ready to leave and go to the plane, it started spreading to my face. Of course, uh, I didn't take, I didn't pack any turpentine with me or any vitality capsules. I figured I was just going to run up to the States and run back and, you know, no, no worries. And uh, it was just an awful trip back on the plane because I was itching all over every place, scratching. It was just, just awful. So finally I got back to, to Panama where I had some vitality capsules and some turpentine and I started taking them. But in addition to, because I had to get rid of this awful rash, uh, many of you may know, but I'm African American, so when I get a rash, the rash turns black, so it's a big mark. So I had to erase these marks and get my skin back to its regular brown color. So I used rice bran. I mixed a um, quarter cup of rice bran with some water to make a paste and just scrubbed it head to toe uh, on my skin. It took... Um, about six months, but all the black spots went away. And now I have brown skin again. So those are a few of the afflictions um, that I have had and how I've treated them. Now let's um, go through a few more of them. Cellulitis. Every now and then you get a boil or an infection or something like that. Um, washing with soap and water is certainly harmless, um, so that's always a good try. But then what I do is apply Vicks Vapor Rub twice a day. And what this does is this uh, takes away the pain, the swelling, and gets things to, uh, to flatten out. And then on the internal side, I usually take turpentine.
Now, I once got so sick that I actually had pneumonia. Um, I think the year was 2000. Actually, it was 2000. It was 2000. I was just closing my medical practice, and um, my hearings with the state licensing board were just fast and thick. I mean, there was legal papers needed to be submitted every um, three to ten days. I had a, a team of supporters I was coordinating. It was just very, very stressful. And what happened, of course, was I got behind in my water, so dehydrated, uh, wasn't eating, got very weak. And I got pneumonia, and I coughed and coughed and coughed. There's one of those extremely deep, deep, deep coughs where the pus comes up from someplace very, very deep down there where you didn't know there could really be pus. And so I realized after a while, I guess about a week or so, that, that I was in trouble. This was, this was pretty serious. And so what I did was at that time I had something called Tiger Bomb. And Tiger Bomb, um, you have to make sure you get the real Tiger Bomb because there are imitation fake Tiger Bombs out there. And I took the Tiger Bomb and put it all over the front of my chest and the back. And said, Doctor, where is your chest? That's actually a good question. Your chest is every place you have ribs. That's your chest. And so I put Tiger Bomb on front and back uh, twice a day. And I, was, I got so weak I couldn't really even cough. But I can feel the pus filling up my lungs. I said, well, I've got to do something or I'm just going to succumb. So I laid across the bed and really turned myself upside down, inched forward from where my head was almost touching the floor, and literally drained the pus out of my chest because I, I couldn't cough it out. So between uh, the tiger bomb and draining myself upside down and, of course, increasing my water, um, my pneumonia cleared. And that's what I do for pneumonia. Now, what I tell other people do for pneumonia is a little bit different. But that's what I did for my pneumonia. And, um, oh, I also got Rescue Remedy. Rescue Remedy is a homeopathic um, mixture uh, or amalgam of things. It's an itty-bitty yellow bottle. And you just take a few drops, anywhere from three to seven drops, put them in water, or just put them under your tongue or actually put them on your tongue uh, two or three times a day, and it's supposed to rescue you. I'm here to tell you, it actually did rescue me, rescue remedy, and it's actually pretty reasonable. Now, I have a few more things to cover, but before I do it, I just forgot a disclaimer here. Uh, this information is information acquired by me, as Dr. Daniels, through clinical observation, personal experience, and very little from medical school. So it shouldn't be construed as medical advice. And so you're advised to consult with your health provider, health care provider, in regards to any medical decisions that may relate to your health. So this radio show is, is for informational purposes only. Nothing, including anything I say, should be taken as medical advice. So as I said, don't act upon anything without first discussing it with your health provider. And any information is provided as is without, with all faults, no representations or warranties of any kind, expressed or implied, including but not limited to implied warranties of fitness for a particular purpose. And so, of course, you assume total responsibility and risk for using this information and any sources related to it. 
And so no oral or written information shall take precedence over this warranty. In no event shall every day vitality, that's my company, its employees, directors, or me, be liable to you or anyone else for any decision made or action taken in reliance upon information provided in this radio show. Okay, I got that off my chest. That's called a disclaimer. Okay, so... Um, so that's um, pneumonia. And I'll say my personal pra- experience with pneumonia in medical practice is when people would come into the hospital for pneumonia, we would hook them up with uh, intravenous antibiotics, get a sample that speed them, which usually didn't show anything useful. And sometimes they got better, sometimes they didn't, and it just didn't seem to be like a big dramatic effect. And generally, by the time we got through with all the antibiotics, they'd have a, a fungal infection, then they got through the fungal infection, and it's just uh, really just awful. And so I had actually stopped even sending patients to the hospital for pneumonia. So if I sincerely believe the person had pneumonia, um, I would generally uh, put them on three to six drops of hydrogen peroxide, and yes, I let them use the three percent stuff right out the grocery store. It worked just fine. Um, twice a day, and then I'd have them take very deep breaths and drink lots of fluid, stop their dairy products, uh, drain themselves with gravity if they could, if they had assistance, and they did very well. They had no problems at all. And as a primary care doctor. Um, when a person ended up in the hospital, I actually lost money. It cost me more money in overhead to go back and forth to the hospital than when I got paid to see the patient. So I was really, really, really dedicated to keeping people out of the hospital. And when I found a way to not have to hospitalize folks for pneumonia, it was a happy day indeed. Of course, patients were happy too. And here's another one, conjunctivitis. I've had conjunctivitis a couple of times really, really bad. Um, I got conjunctivitis and um, it was so bad that the white part of my eyes couldn't be seen. It was all blood red and it was swollen and I could barely close my eyes. Don't ask me how it happened. I have no idea. And so I did go to a doctor. He recommended Garamycin ophthalmic drops, which I diligently used. And they helped. But as soon as I was out of the drops, everything came back. I said, well, that's the end of that. And so what I did was I um, bit the bullet, pulled down that lower lid and put some Vicks in there. Ouch, did it burn. Oh, my God, did it burn. But um, less than a week, it was cleared up, and it didn't come back for several years. And when it did come back, it came back very mildly. And um, when it did come back, I... um, was a little more aware, and as soon as it showed up, I started putting in salt water um, drops and doing rinses with an eye cup. And you mix half teaspoon of salt, one cup of purified water, be sure all the salt is dissolved, and then you um, fill the eye cup, bend your head forward, press the eye cup to your eye, bend your head all the way back, blink, 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 blink and uh, just keep rinsing the eye out. And I found that that actually did a lot um, a lot better than the drugs did, simply rinsing out the eyeballs and starting early rather than later. And that was 
that was big. Oh, effective ah, gum or tooth. This is another one. So I was totally stressed uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I was uh, vegan, and then I went raw for a bit, and uh, my teeth started floating around in my gums. You know, you push a tooth and it moves. I said, oh, man, that's not good. Oh, that is not good. And then finally I started getting um, a swelling uh, around one tooth or another, really just swelling up. And that was very disturbing because the tooth would swell, that side of the face would swell, and then my lips would swell, and my whole face would get distorted. And I couldn't even close my mouth because the lips were so swollen and stiff, they actually kind of separated. I said, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. What am I going to do? So I started cold packs while I was contemplating the whole awful situation. And then um, what I did was I took um, clove oil and I cut out a piece of a T-shirt, soaked it with the clove oil, wadded it up, and stuffed it between my tooth and the gum next to the tooth that seemed to be the worst. And I changed it about twice a day. And um, finally the swelling went down. And it worked out very well. Uh, It came back a second time after um, a year and a half. And... I said to myself, something's got to be done. And finally, when I uh, stopped being vegan slash raw and started eating uh, cooked foods and a little bit of meat, boom, the um, gums firmed up, the teeth uh, took hold, I could bite things without worrying about having pain. And so it must have been a... um, deficiency, nutritional deficiency of some sort that kept the gums from being able to hold on to the teeth very well. And now my teeth are very strong and I can bite and chew just about anything. And so I didn't realize that um, at the time it was a dietary issue. Now I had been vegetarian slash vegan for uh, 20-something years, 26 years. And so it might be that being vegetarian is a short-term strategy, maybe a 10-year strategy or a 15-year strategy. And the other thing I did when uh, this swelling took place, I took three garlic capsules four times a day. So three garlic capsules four times a day and then used the clove oil soaked in a, uh, a square cut out of a cotton T-shirt. Cotton balls do not work for this. There's something about the distribution properties of uh, woven or knitted cotton that that, uh, that holds that oil right next to your gum and gives you the best results. And so if people have questions, I can take questions. We've got a chat room full of questions here. People can just kind of click their phone on whatever the questions are. Also... Tomorrow, no, not tomorrow, tomorrow's Wednesday. Thursday, question and answer marathon, three-hour marathon. So 
go to vitalitycapsules.com to sign up for that. All right, we've got questions. What does Dr. Daniels think about nebulizing colloidal silver for sinus infections and respiratory ailments? Huh. I've never done it, so I, I don't really have an opinion on that. Um, I, I I told you what I do for sinus infections and respiratory stuff. Okay, someone would like me to do a show on chemtrails. Okay, I'll do that. Next question. What should I do when I get structural issues like sprains, possible fractures, tears, and so on, but I'm afraid what liberties a doctor might take in the emergency room? Okay. Do you advocate x-rays, MRIs, CTs, ultrasounds for, for anything? All right, first of all, uh, a structural issue. So structural issue means maybe you broke something. Let's just call it that. Um, when I have a structural issue, let's say a sprain or a break, I don't know if I sprained it or if I broke it. For that, I take um, castor oil mixed with turpentine and drink it. And what happens is you get an extreme cleansing. And if it's a sprain, the pain goes away, and so does the swelling. If it's a break, um, then you can see clearly that it's a break because uh, you have point tenderness. It means you have tenderness at the point of the break. Most fractures are non-displaced fractures. What does that mean? I mean, the fracture has not been substantially displaced, and you can really just let it heal without um, any type of surgical intervention. So if that's the case, uh, you don't need an X-ray, MRI, CT, ultrasound, or anything, because these X-ray tests only serve as a guide to the surgeon's scalpel. So if 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 surgery is not in your list of things to do, then you don't. There's no need for any of these X-ray studies. In other words, just between a fracture and a sprain is just about Zippo. You're talking about staying off of it and immobilizing it. So let's see, we have a question here. Let me see if I can... Okay. Ah, your name and your question, please. Hello, my name is Mike, and I had a couple of questions that you should be able to answer real quick, so I'll run through them pretty fast. Um, okay. Can you give us the information on where one can get the rescue remedy drops that you mentioned? And yeah, you can just Google them. They're Bach, B-A-C-H makes them, and they're everywhere. They're, they're homeopathic. It's called rescue remedies. They're famous. Who did you say makes it? H, the letter H? Bach, Bach. No, B as in boy, B-A-C-H, oh. Bach. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, and the second question was, is there any way you could give out the information to uh, where you get your new jump-free capsules from? I like to make my own capsules, and I hadn't gotten in in a while. I know way back in the wintertime you had spoke about that you were going to change over, and you finally found a company that was pretty clean. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you can just buy um, cellulose vegetarian capsules. Those are the ones that I use. And when I say okay. junk-free, I mean I had them take out the uh, 
the stearic acid, no stearic acid, no silica, you know, none of that junk. Just right. herbs. That's all there is. Yeah. And and there's more than one company that actually sells that clean of a, a caps, vegetable caps. No, no, the capsules are the capsules. But when you have a company compound stuff or put stuff into the capsule for put, you, okay. they, they yeah. want to add all this other junk. And so a lot of manufacturers okay. are adding this junk. So I had to find somebody who would produce the capsules according to my recipe and not add the junk. Got you. I was thinking of the actual capsule that the ingredients went into. Oh, no, no. That was the ingredients they were throwing into the capsule that I did not want in the capsule. Okay, great. Now, two questions about Ebola. From what you know now... From 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 what you know at this present to what you said what two or three weeks ago on one of your shows, uh-huh. Uh-huh. is it feasible that the Ebola can become airborne and can no. it be transmitted through mosquito bites or mosquito transmission? Okay, okay. So let I think there's a, a confusion here. Ebola is a foodborne illness. Foodborne, okay. And so if you take the Ebola germ and introduce it through your mouth, you get vomiting and diarrhea. If you introduce it through your nose, you might get a sniffle, but you can't get vomiting and diarrhea because it's not in the intestinal tract. Wow. And so, of course, you can get it in your nose, but you have this mucus and you blow it out, you blow your nose, you're done. So it can't cause disease up there. Okay, so that's the the, the airborne issue. What about a mosquito giving you Ebola? I would say absolutely not. The reason I would say absolutely not is because they've studied Ebola, and Ebola is very, very fussy. It only grows on certain types of tissues. It doesn't even Mm. grow on every single monkey out there. So only certain animals, like fruit bats, um, certain um, monkeys, and certain types of bush meat are a hospitable environment for Ebola. It is extremely fussy. And I doubt that, that... a mosquito would have the flesh and the muscle structure that Ebola likes. Okay. Now, say you're in a tropical area or region and where there's fruit. I back. am. I am. I live in Panama. Okay. So is there any chance that from them flying out that the particulates from the urine or feces while they're out flying could, I guess, uh, float around in the air long enough for someone to breathe that in? And if so, would that cause exactly. a problem, or does, exactly. is it dead by the end? If the problem, the issue is, in order to cause a problem, Ebola has to get into your intestinal tract. Intestinal tract, that is the key. There, no mucus. No. Okay. Because yeah, the latest story that they have in Dallas, the latest mm-hmm. story that the nurse contracted the uh, virus in Dallas, there's been a lot mm-hmm. of avenues or people saying this, saying that. And it just got me to thinking, my opinion is if this is a planned deal. This isn't by accident. Two, right. if, if it's only, I mean, if they're following protocol and there hadn't been a breach, the only way I could see that happening is if they did wipe their hands before taking the gloves off or took the gloves off the improper way, whatever the case may be. And you can get the flu or pneumonia by wiping your mucous membranes, meaning the eyes, the nose, or the mouth. So I hadn't found or heard anything directly to where 
that could cause you to get the virus to enter into, like you say, the digestive tract. And I'm just trying to get a get a feel for that. Yeah. We don't know enough about the nurse being infected. I think we need to get a few more facts. But we do know the facts about healthcare workers in Africa who were affected, and without fail, they either stuck themselves with a needle that they used to stick the, the patient with, number one, or number two, um, they passed out from the from being in their hazmat outfits for too long. And having been a healthcare worker and having been in a hazmat outfit, I can tell you, this being in a hazmat outfit can be deadly. Hi, you're on the air. Your name and your question, please. Uh, Anna. Anna. Yes. Uh-huh. And your question? My question has to do with the turpentine. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been trying to uh, do the turpentine therapy, and um, I tried a half a teaspoon night before last mm-hmm. on the sugar cubes, mm-hmm. and, oh, my God, it went straight to my brain. <laughs> you need to go back and review steps one through four and work a little harder on them. Okay, I'm eating right now uh, vegan. I I went on vegan. Um, I, I've got my balance moving three times a day. Um, no grains. No sugar. Um... And um, I'm not, I went went back over the program to make sure I was doing everything right. And I've, but I've been working up slowly on the amount that I've, you know, started with. You know, I started with an eighth of a teaspoon and then I went to a fourth. Did the eighth of a teaspoon work out for you? You The eighth of a teaspoon didn't give you any problem? No, neither did the four. Okay. You need to go back to the highest dose that gave you no symptoms. That Your body is just not ready for the higher dose that, that you gave it. Okay. You, can't do anything more. you can't do anything more than what your body is ready for. I mean, natural healing is not like doctor healing where you violently tell your body, you know, shove it, take this, do it or else. It just doesn't work that way. So you have to be... Uh, you know, gentle, kind, and loving with your body. And when your body says something's okay, well, it's okay. When your body says something's not okay, well, it's not okay. That's all there is to it. And everybody's different. So if you have a dose that does work for you, then you should stick to that dose, you know, as you continue to work. Okay, your name and your question. Uh, It's Phyllis. And again, I'm I'm calling about the turpentine. I have ordered the Vitality capsules and some Diamond G um, turpentine, which I was reading on the Ormus list is good. And uh-huh. I had also read from Walter Lass that he mixes the turpentine with olive oil. And I was just wondering what your feelings are about that. 
okay. Walter um, Lab my is in about, uh, Yeah, I'm familiar. Uh, my feelings about mixing it with um, olive oil are that that gives you a less powerful uh, solution, but uh, maybe some people don't need as powerful as a, a solution. Okay, we have another question. Hi, your name and your question, please. Oh, hi. Uh, my name is Carolyn Moore, and I'm mm-hmm. just becoming familiar with uh, the turpentine, uh, using it as uh, a way to um, heal, to get rid of the, you know, the parasites and the candida. Uh, uh-huh. Now, going through the steps, how long does it take, or do we have to monitor ourselves to? I know you have to start drinking water, and you have to be on a whole foods diet. Um, how long do we right. have to practice that before you can start using the turpentine? A week it or varies. a month? It varies. <laughs> Some people are already there. Some people can take a whole year. So everybody's different, and. Um, the best way to do it is to get going, do all four steps concurrently. You don't drink water for a while, then stop, and then eat whole foods for a while, then stop, and have bowel movements for a while. It's all concurrent. So you do that concurrently, and once you're feeling pretty good, I would say at least 50% better than when you started, then that will be a good time to try test those. And to test those works, you can uh, work your way up to a full dose. Okay. All righty. And is it the same? Because I would like to um, try it for my toddler. Um, he, I know he has problems sleeping. I think he has some parasite issues as well. And I remember listening to one of your shows for, I guess, 30 pounds. It would be three-fourths of a teaspoon and one tablespoon of sugar. Yeah, with kids... Um I don't know what the weight is, but with kids, it depends uh, It depends on the weight. I would say you should do it yourself and, you know, get a feel for it. Okay. And I, I would I would not try it on your toddler until you had successfully used it yourself and felt really comfortable with it. Okay. Okay. But, All right. Very yeah. good advice. Thank you. You're welcome. Wait, I'm pushing the wrong button here. Oh, I think I got the right button. Okay, so I want to tell people tomorrow, no, not tomorrow, Thursday. Thursday, I'm having a three-hour marathon question-answer session. People can go to vitalitycapsules.com and sign up for that. All right, we have another question here. Hi, you're on the air. Your name and your question, please. Hello. I'm calling concerning um, the turpentine use. I'm breastfeeding. Uh-huh. I'm breastfeeding. Is it safe for me to still use turpentine? Um, no, I wouldn't. Okay. Yeah, I, I wouldn't use it in breastfeeding because the, the thing is, when you're using turpentine and you're breastfeeding, the turpentine is causing the parasites to leave, and the parasites are leaving and going into your breast milk. And okay. So, you're so should your I just pump baby. and dump? Huh? If I decide to do that, can I pump and dump? Well, the turpentine hangs around for a while. Okay, okay. So, yeah, what I would do is is um, just wait till you're through breastfeeding, or of course, the other thing you do is to give turpentine to the kid too. But I don't know how old your child is. So he's eight months. Those are the the two choices there. 
But I, I think the best thing to do would be maybe to wait until you're through uh, breastfeeding. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, we have time for one more question. Let me see if I can hit this right. Hi, you're on the air. Your name and question, please. Oops, I got that wrong. Hello. Hi. Hi, this is Robert James calling, Jennifer. Yes, how are you? Great, good to hear your voice. And uh, I just was wondering how how you um, feel about turpentine as it applies to, or is there any other possible discovery that you have made uh, that might help the this uh, terrible Ebola challenge that the world is, uh, <laughs> is encompassing now? Oh, my God, yes, Ebola. Uh, I think the thing to understand about Ebola is that it's a foodborne illness. And I think that is what everyone is missing here. Um, so because it's a foodborne illness, we can look at other foodborne illnesses as a model for its um, transmission and, and other things. So... Um, 48 million Americans every year get foodborne illnesses. And we need to understand that this Ebola thing is a political thing and it's a transition to, to label these 48 million existing foodborne illness cases as Ebola to terrorize mm. Americans and get them to accept um, breaking and entering, theft of personal property, and kidnapping on behalf of the government. And so I think the way to handle the Ebola epidemic is to say you don't care what the illness is. It does not justify the, the government kidnapping citizens against their will. It does not justify the government invading people's homes and taking their property. And as long as you stay focused on that, that, that this is really a grab for power to terrorize people into giving up their personal freedom over their most important possession, which is their body, and their other possessions. Once you realize that, then I think you get it in perspective. And also, if you do get vomiting or diarrhea, definitely don't go to your doctor. He's under orders to call the health department, and they're under orders to apprehend you. Right. And will they be uh, coming up with the enforced Ebola vaccine, which they'll require everyone to have uh, under threat That's what of, Connecticut uh, is saying. Even though there's no therapy available, Connecticut is saying that if the government decides you should take this drug, um, or a vaccine, then you have to take it or face $10,000 fine and one-year imprisonment. So, yes. And, of course, who's to say that you're getting the same drug the next guy is getting? The government can decide, oh, you're a political dissident, you get this drug. Oh, you know, you're a, well, whatever, you get that drug. So it really opens up a lot of creative possibilities. So Ebola essentially may be a politically contrived uh, uh, disease as part of... Uh, concept. Uh, you have to say concept. Uh, you know, concept. Uh, war, because war because political warfare concepts here with, uh, um, you know, uh, using, uh, using it as a war where it was a weapon. Right, but it's a concept. It's not a disease because the tests that they are using don't even test for the Ebola virus. 
Oh, my God. And so the war is being waged with a concept dependent upon the belief of the individual being tested. So since the tests are not testing for Ebola virus, but only protein fragments that may be part of the Ebola virus, or testing for antibodies that may have been manufactured um, for who knows what and may cross-react with an with in Ebola antigen that's been implanted on a plate. So that's like me saying, well, Mr. James, we know you committed the crime because we saw a silhouette of your photograph at the scene, so you must have been there. And so really the tests that they're doing, even if positive, show no evidence that Ebola was ever present, number one, was present at the time the person is sick, number one, or two, caused the illness. So since the evidence they're using does not indicate infection with Ebola, then what the weapon is, it's a conceptual weapon. And the concept is that the person being victimized accepts that they have Ebola and believes that they have Ebola. And, of course, everyone around them has the same belief. Wow. Well, Michael Savage had mentioned a couple of times on his show recently that uh, it's not only a political weapon and perhaps biological warfare, but but, uh, particularly uh, Catholic Charities has... uh, plans of uh, making hundreds of millions of dollars off of uh, uh, through their uh, network of hospitals and so forth and that it's going to be a big money maker for them. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be a big money maker for a lot of people, which is why I think there's going to be so much cooperation with it. Um, you know, the government has planned this to spread the money around so that uh, quite a few people do profit from it. But you need to understand that your biggest defense is to not go to the doctor should you get vomiting or diarrhea and not suggest anyone else do it and not support um, having your neighbors or yourself quarantined or in any way harassed based on this. Because, again, the test that they're using, the PCR test and the um, antibody test, do not test for the virus. So there is no evidence that the virus is present in any of these individuals. And so since... So they're basically using biological warfare with simply the individual's imagination. And so to carry off what they're, what they're pulling off, they don't even need to release Ebola virus. It's yeah. not necessary. And they seem to have brought, uh, I don't know how many millions of uh, body bags for the FEMA camps. So I don't know whether that's a sign for the people who may refuse to take the Ebola uh, vaccine once one of the big pharmaceutical companies comes up with some kind of, uh, uh, well, at least a pretense of a vaccine, even right. if it doesn't work, they're going to make, you but know, maybe hundreds the body badge for the folks who do take the vaccine. I mean, think about oh. that. Maybe the body oh. bags for the folks who do take the vaccine. Oh, wow. I didn't think of mm-hmm. Well, I, you know that I'm not going to take the vaccine. <laughs> They'd have to shoot me first and then instead give me the vaccine after they shoot me. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's uh, uh, that's that's the way to go. Uh, it's simply a matter of your own personal cooperation. This is certainly something you can choose uh, not to participate in. So that's the end of our show today. So definitely go to vitalitycapsules.com. And for more great question answer, you can sign up for the um, Healathon Marathon this Thursday. Okay. And hope to see you there.